This is your girl Shakina and I'm with my girl Shar and we are the Black Woman Reborn. This is a podcast where we have raw, honest, captivating, and informative conversations about issues that affect Black women in their personal and professional lives. Welcome to the tribe. Welcome back tribe. Thank you for tuning in to this very important tribe meeting, the incarceration of Black women featuring a former incarcerated Black woman, Jasmine Young, who is also the founder of Inmates Are Us, which is an organization that she has created to do exactly what we are hoping to do in this short tribe meeting, which is bring more awareness to this highly important topic in our community, the incarceration of Black women. Tribe, if many of you who are listening are honest at this very moment, When I say the widely used phrase mass incarceration, I'm sure many of you think of Black men solely throughout history and even in today's times when a topic of mass incarceration is discussed, the focus tends to be on Black men only and rightfully so. And let's continue to have those discussions, but let's also make sure that we bring to light the paralleling problem of the over-policing, the over-sentencing and the mass incarceration of Black women as well. Can we not forget about our sister Marissa Alexander, who spent a half a dozen years either in jail or under house arrest after firing just a warning shot at her consistently abusive husband back in 2012. And I'm sure none of us can forget the story of Centoya Brown, who spent 13 years in jail for killing the very man who held her captive as a sex slave when she was 16 years old. And the list of stories like these actually go on and on. Black women tend to be hidden figures in this country, right? We've had these conversations about how we've been hidden heroes in the civil rights movement, in the suffrage movement, for example, and on the very opposite end of the spectrum tribe, we also tend to be hidden victims as well. And the numbers don't lie. So I'm gonna kick it off to you, Shakina, because I know you have a couple of stats for us. In 2019, women incarceration rate was 9.6 to every 1,000 women in comparison to 1982, where there was only 1.1 to every 1,000 women. You can definitely see that is a huge increase over time. But going into focusing on the difference between Black, White, and Latinx women, in 2020, the sentencing project talked about this specifically. 83 women per 100,000 Black women were incarcerated. So out of 100,000 Black women, 83 were incarcerated. So that's out of every 100,000 women. 83 are Black. Out of every 100,000 women, 63 are Latinx. Out of every 100,000 women, 48 are white. Somehow it just seems as we've been doing this show over and over and over, sometimes when it comes to Black statistics, when it's in a negative aspect, somehow we're always at the top of the totem pole. But, you know, we're hoping to change that, especially with Black Woman Reborn. The NAACP 
also talked about police killings of unarmed Black Americans are responsible for more than 50 million additional days of poor mental health in the Black community. We have so many other things that as Black women, we are concerned about, not just our incarceration, but the incarceration of our children. I'm going to say that number again, 50 million additional days of poor mental health. This mental health burden is comparable to that associated with diabetes, a disease that strikes one in five Black Americans. We are here today again with Jasmine Young to bring recognition to this so that way we can help our sisters that are incarcerated, the ones that are coming home, the ones that have come home, to make sure that we as a tribe are taking care of our tribe. Jasmine, introduce yourself to the people. Hi, everyone. I'm Jasmine Young. I'm 34 years old. Um, I was incarcerated for four and a half years and I got out May 2020. So I'm up on 10 months from being home. You know, it's still kind of fresh. I'm relieved to be home. But, you know, it was a process. So, you know, from the outside looking in, I'm like every other woman would see based on social media, living her best life, making the best of my current situation. My life, you know, seems normal, but it's not. It's anything but normal. People always tell me, you know, you don't look like you've been to prison, but what is the proper look for being incarcerated? There is no proper look. There is no discrimination when it's time for incarceration. I don't know what normal is anymore, actually. I'm 34 with two sons, age nine and age 17, and I was incarcerated from January 2016 to May 2020. So I like to say, you know, I always like to put a little humor into things. I was kidnapped from the feds because I didn't willingly go. So I like to put a little humor in there to, you know, lighten the mood with some people because sometimes like this topic is kind of touchy in a sense. So that's how I look at it. You know, my life was a mess. I was working at the bank for six years and juggling school at the same time. While in the midst of training for a management position at the bank. And during that time, I was in a very toxic four-year relationship. From the beginning, when I mean from the beginning, from the very first week of the relationship all the way to the end of the relationship. And that was my choice to say because I had pride issues. And I never really looked to anybody for any help or assistance getting out of that situation until it got too worse. So... Being in that relationship, I almost lost my life on several occasions. It resulted in some head trauma, some bruises, some stitches. You know, I wanted a way out. And I just, like I said, wasn't trying to depend on anybody. So my way out came from basically a devil on my shoulder coming to me with a proposition. And that's someone that I had trusted, that I thought had my best interest on this way out. And that person never really had my best interest. They had their best interest. And that way out cost me my job of six years in 2015. That's when I had lost my job at the bank. That's where the whole legal issues had started. So after losing my job a month later in November 2015, because I lost my job October 2015. So that way out had cost me my job of six years in 2015. After losing my job a month later in November 2015, the feds came and raided my house. So I was still nonchalant at this point. I really didn't think I was in any serious trouble, but that's just how, you know, I dealt with things. So after they raided my house, I had actually gotten into a new relationship because at this point I was living by myself away from that toxic relationship finally, but at a cost. 
So uh, I got into a relationship with someone else from Baltimore, who is my ex now, of course. And I moved out to Baltimore to be closer to them and to feel some type of formality with everything going on. I ended up becoming close friends with a female named Sierra that I met through my ex. And me and her were inseparable. And, you know, I needed someone to talk to. I needed somebody, you know, I can trust and can lean on during all this stuff that was going on. So she helped me to adjust to being in Baltimore and taking care of my younger son. So, you know, that helped a lot. So that relationship was my second worst one, you know, from the previous one that I was in. It was like a bad domino effect going on in my life. So during that time in that relationship, I was taken advantage of. I was allowed to be disrespected by others. and My kindness was taken for weakness. I was just in a bad place along with my legal issues. I was constantly crying and constantly being embarrassed. You know, I never thought it would be me in this position. But even though I was going through that, I kept smiling through it all and I kept partying and drinking to numb the pain. So in January 2016, everything came crashing down again. Another domino effect happening. My friend here was actually killed in Baltimore. And then I was arrested on drug charges. I mean, from my ex and I eventually got locked up for good January 28th, 2016. It wasn't until months sitting in prison that I learned that I was told on not once, but twice by two different people. But I did my time and I kept moving, but it, you know, it really messed me up in the head that people that I trusted would, you know, turn on me knowing that I had kids. And in the long run, I was really trying to help them. So that's pretty much, you know, my story on how I got incarcerated and just the background and of everything. Thank you so much for sharing that, Jasmine. And often when you hear these stories about people who have spent time in prison, that seems to be a running theme, right? The fact that I was with people who I trusted, I would have never thought they would throw me under the bus or, you know, we all were doing some of the similar things and I'm the one who took the fall. So I think you share a common story with a lot of people who share that experience. Kudos to you for throughout your time in prison. And even before, as you were going through, you kept on referring to the domino effects, just trying your best to keep your head up and keep it moving. Can you share a little bit more about what it was like being in prison, right? I think a lot of people just have this idea of what prison is like, especially right. as women. But, you know, again, you know firsthand, you spent four years in there. What is it like being a woman in prison? Well, being a woman in prison, like, previously being locked up, I always used to watch the Locked Up Raw shows. And so when I got in there, I felt like I had an idea, but you really don't have an idea until you're actually placed into that situation. So when I first got locked up, I really didn't feel any type of way. I kind of felt relieved that everything was crashing down and I felt actually safe in a safe place in a weird way that everything was just like coming to light and, you know, I was on my next step in the legal journey. So with that, I kind of adjusted fairly quickly because you really have no choice but to adjust when you're put into that situation. It's just like, you know, animal going into a different habitat, they have to adjust. That's a comparison to animals, but it's just kind of similar. You're put into a situation, you adjust fairly quickly, but that's just the type of person that I am. I adjust to my environment. The first facility that I was at was in Baltimore was extremely crazy. I spent 16 months there before I went to the federal prison. That's where I learned everything that I needed to know about prison to prepare me for the real prison. So with that, I had to deal with waking up to rats running around in my cell every day, rats going into your food, possibly jumping on your bed. I got so sick off the food at one point, I had to have a procedure done 
Wow. And no one really cared because the food was so bad. And when I mean I had a procedure done, like I was, I was in there really sick. My blood cells were down. I was losing blood. People were getting fight with the officers. People were fighting. You know, I quickly learned to mind my business because that's how you really get through your time, just to do your time and mind your own business. Um, day to day inside the prison, you were required to work. This is when you got to federal prison. You were required to work, but let me just backtrack. In order to transfer from prison to prison, you're actually shackled on a plane. It might be 300 people, but you're shackled at your ankles, your waist, and your arms, and you're required to eat like that and use the bathroom like that. And if you want to use the bathroom, you're subject to the guys using their hands to grope you or fill up on you as you walk down the aisle. So that right there, just like me and planes, like I don't... <laughs> Every time I'm going to have to get on a plane, that's all I'm going to think about is being shackled and I'm going to feel the chains on my waist and on my ankles and wrists, you know, in my head mentally because I'm traumatized from that. But as far as being in prison, like I said, you're required to work. So I got used to waking up around 5.30 or 6 in order to, if you wanted to eat breakfast, that's the time you had to wake up. Otherwise you would miss it and you would have to wait for the next meal at lunchtime would be at 12. You had to move on control movements, meaning you can't move around the prison unless you know they authorize it, unless the officer says, or unless you're being escorted. And to a certain extent, you can't use the bathroom when you want to. You can't use the bathroom at certain times because you know the male officers do come by and look inside the windows in the middle of the night. I guess I'm at the point, like when it came to like strip searches, you know, I've been strip searched so much I had a squat and cough I'm at the point where being you know naked in front of people doesn't bother me so I'm just like you know kind of free spirit with that because I'm so used to it you know if you argued with somebody you had to watch your back because people have mental issues in there so you're dealing with a, a lot of different personalities I was in there with people who had life in prison I was in there with child molesters murderers all types of different people so like I said you have really had to adjust your environment everybody has a story especially in the woman in prison about, I would say about 90%, 95% of people have a story or reason why they did what they did, especially the females. They weren't just in their cold-blooded killers. A lot of people who had um, domestic violence, a lot of people who needed money were doing stuff, you know, dealing drugs. A lot of people who had mental issues that haven't been addressed were um, getting time. So a lot of that was going on. I had to learn how to cook with only hot water or a radiator with limited food. And I had to deal with being locked in myself for two weeks at a time with a, sh a shower maybe once a week. And when we did take our showers, they would put the hot water off on us. So we were only taking cold showers. And maybe you're supposed to be for 10 minutes, but they tell us to get out in five minutes. Um, five minutes. We were prone to sometimes eat moldy food when we were on lockdown, eating food while your roommate is on the toilet, the officers ruining your property and calling out your name. You know, writing them up really didn't do anything because they needed the officers and it was hard to prove anything that was going on. People getting beat, locked, or shamed. This was normal for me. Everything I went through, I was numb. So what is prison like overall? It's To me, it's hell on earth where you're not a human anymore. You're a number. You're sexually looked at as meat from officers. On the flip side, I met the realest people that are inside that I'm still friends with to this day that helped me overcome that and kind of became my family. So let's face it, 90% of people on the outside left me, including my family. So I felt like I had to build my own family inside to get through that time. That's what prison was kind of like. I want to continue to tell you just thank you for sharing your story, Jasmine, and being so honest because we do have a lot of young tribe members 
We have older tribe members. You just never know at what point in life you're going to be put in any situation. A lot of people or some people may say, well, if you do the crime, then you got to pay the time. Right. You never know what situation you're going to be in where that can be you, especially with women, black women. Oh, my God. We just can go on and on about sometimes how the men impact our lives to be in certain situations that we just wouldn't normally see ourselves in. Right. Right now, black love. So when we talk about relationships and Black love, supporting our Black women, supporting our Black men, I heard you when you talked about your family leaving you. Black love is not only about being in romantic relationships. It's also about having that family relationships and connections as well that we have to be able to see our sisters through. A lot of people talk about blood is thicker than water or I don't need no new friends and all that stuff. But sometimes you do because those people will leave you for dead, leave you behind. I wanted to just ask you, because you mentioned about toxic friendships and then also still staying in certain toxic environments with partying and drinking, trying to suppress everything that was happening to you. But in the midst of all of that, how did you stay positive inside? How did you keep your head up? prior to going to prison and then once in there, just making it out, what were some of the things that kept you lifted and motivated to mind your own business, to (laughs) um, focus, especially with rats and fighting and healthcare and being desensitized to a lot of things that were going on around you? Right. How did I stay positive? I would just say I found jailhouse religion. I've always had religion. I just increased it more. You know, sometimes it went up and down, but really so is my children. I had my son when I was 16 and it was drilled in my head is that I was a burden on people or my family more so for having a child at 16. And it's like, I felt like I was the black sheep. So the only way to get out of that was to just continue to be up despite my circumstances. I had to be up for my kids and thank God I had a support system of my mother, knowing that my mom, you know, was a good mom and she took care of my kids that kept me going. It was just hard. I mean, especially, like I said, with the situation I was in with rats going around, I always try to keep positive. I started working out. I started journaling. Um, That's where I came up with MHRS in 2016. That's where I came up with the concept. You know, I did business plans, helped other people with their business plans. I mean, I just try to think of it as not the end of the world. And when you have people around you that are doing life, there's no way that you can sit there and be negative because you have an outdate. Like, there's no outdate for certain people. I mean, I love people who are 80 years old, 90 years old, who's never going to come home. And, you know, how can I sit there and not be positive because I'm going home and be, you know, negative? So it was just really hard. And I've seen a lot of Black women in there. You know, we leaned on each other for support and it was just sad. I I had a roommate who was in there because her husband was beating her. She was Black and they gave her time for defending herself. So it's just, you know, sad as far as Black woman goes, it's like, the men, it's normal for them to go to prison. But when a Black woman goes, it's like we're punished even harder because we're looked at as not supposed to be in prison. And so I feel like we do get sentenced harder. I feel like they don't listen to our story. They don't see that we're trying to be a ride or die. They don't care about anything about that. They don't see that, you know, maybe we were mothers. So maybe we were scamming and selling drugs for extra money. They don't see that. The Black women get pushed under the rug. And it's just like another attachment to the Black man. They're just like, they just don't care which is very, very, very unfair. 
Wow. And I think everything that you're saying is heavy. (laughs) I really just gather myself and pull back tears. And I really do hope tribe that you probably can agree with this is that there are some people in this tribe that we were one decision away or one lucky away from being in the same situation. Right. We always have to remind ourselves that it could have been me. (laughs) It could have been someone who you cared about dearly. Like, Stuff like that happens very quickly. One of the statistics that I read that uh, definitely relates to, you know, your reasons behind how you ended up in prison is a lot of people would assume that a lot of women are in prison due to some type of like sexual crime or something like that. But it's actually drug offenses. The stat that I saw is that drug offenses and often petty drug offenses account for the 800% increase in the rate of female incarceration in the United States. Mm. And if you break that down further, that's when you see how the numbers play out where Black women are amongst the highest number of women who get sentenced and imprisoned for petty drug crimes. And again, we are often overlooked when it comes to this. We are just as over-policed as Black men and we are over-sentenced as as Black men. But again, that's the reason why we're having this episode is because we want to bring awareness to what's really going on. Because when a Black woman is incarcerated, everything that you talked about, mm-hmm. the things that happen to Black women in prison are inhumane, right? right? Like, you know, anybody in prison, but Black women in particular, sexual assault, tribe, like, we want you guys to do the research to look up this stuff because you need to know because maybe there's somebody out there that's looking for a call to care about. Here is one. You look up the numbers of sexual assault of women prisoners. It is something that will make this alarm. Right. Just women in the military, there's a, you know, a movement behind sexual assault of women in the military and bringing awareness to that and in prison. These are our sisters, some who just made one mistake and it could have been us. And this is a human rights issue. Right. And, and, you know, it's not a black or white thing or we bring those specifics because we want people to know that we're suffering the most when it comes to certain stuff like this. But this is a human rights issue. Can I also state, Charlotte, what you're saying when it comes to black women? We know that black women are the matriarchs of our family structure. Mm-hmm. So when we lose a mother to incarceration, the whole line falls. That's even when we go back to the 80s, late 70s, 90s, with the drugs in our communities and how it affected mothers, how it then becomes a trickle-down effect to their children, mm-hmm. to to the other women that surround them and were around them. And then it ultimately affects our communities as well with women incarceration, Black women incarceration. It's like taking the queen bee out of the hive. Right. Because we are often, as we talked about in previous episodes, the backbone of our community. Even though we not always be highlighted as such, we are. Since 1991, the number of children with a mother in prison has more than doubled up to 131%. Jasmine? You can share as much as you feel comfortable, but can you talk a little bit about how your prison sentence affected your children? It's a good question. It really affected them. It's crazy you ask that because last night I was going through old letters and I'm just reading letters from 2016 and my older son wrote me talking about, I can't wait for you to come home. 
coming home soon. And I used to remember the days, you know, I used to be like, I'll be home soon. And that was in 2016, 2017. I'll be home soon, 2018. I'll be home soon to the point where they just got over it. Like my youngest son told me, he was like, you know, I just got over that you were gone. I just got over it. But, you know, people told me he was sad. I mean, they was really going through a lot with school and you know, struggling and just emotional wise. It kind of feel like they were just set back in life because on like when they took me, I had dropped my son off at daycare and he never seen me. And he was around four years old. So. And he still didn't see me until 2017 because I didn't want him coming to the jail where they have glass up because, you know. He gets real emotional. So I chose not to see him for 16 months until I could see him in person. And, you know, it was hard. I had my days and I just felt bad missing birthdays and just looking at pictures of the kids. And I'm just like, okay, you know, always requesting pictures, but pictures really didn't do justice when you couldn't touch your kids for a while. You really couldn't understand them. You can only, you know, write them, talk on the phone. And when you talk on the phone, you have a 15 minute phone call phone cuts off. Or if the jail locks down, you don't get to talk to them. Like the two weeks I was, you know, locked down, I couldn't talk to them. So it put really a strain and I'm still, you know, now trying to mend that. But what I realized is no amount of time can make up for the time that I was taken away. And that hurts. Like no amount of money, no amount of time. I missed out on that gap with my kids. And every day is my biggest regret because I can't make that up and I don't know how to make that up. I don't know how to make that feeling go away. So sometimes I shut down. Sometimes I don't want to talk to people. And I just don't want parental advice either because no one can give me advice on how to readjust back to my kids' life because, you know, they're hurting too. And I just, you know, sometimes I just don't know what to do. Like I talk to people who've been in the same situation as me and they're in the same boat. Sometimes we cry about it. We cry about our kids being gone. We cry about, you know, the issues our kids have, but we don't have the solution. Because in prison, there was no resources for us to have a solution. It's like, okay, get you back out, get back out there to your kids and do whatever you need to do. So that's my hardest struggle, you know, every day. I put on a smile on my face and do what I can. I talk to my kids, but I can't make that time up, which was a vital time. My oldest son is 17 and the other one's nine. I can't make that time up. So I just do the best I can as far yeah, as me. Well, let us encourage you <laughs> as there's, um from the tribe to say that. As somebody who, you know, we know each other. Right. Um, and I watch you and I want to say I commend you. You are doing a great job. Thank and, you. you know, I know I can just sit here in the background and see, you know, I know that it's not easy. How could it be? And I could never know that struggle. But I see you. You get up every day. You post positive things. You have a smile on your face. You have goals. You came out the gate running, so to speak. And you have a vision. And then you're turning this around to help other women. So I just want to encourage you that even those days where it get hard, just know right. that you have people rooting for you. Even you. not in your close circle, like I'm rooting for you. And trust me, Shakina, she just has so much love in her heart. And the Red Tribe, we're all rooting for you. And girl, your rebirth story is going to be amazing. It is already <laughs> constructed. The foundation is laid. Part of your story but it is not your book. It is not the end all be all. So I'm so glad that you were able to stay positive. I'm glad that you are able to be back with your children. And although you lost that time, you still have the rest of you all's life. Think about that time, but just how you can better and build, you know, so much more now that right. you can do what you have to do. Because a lot of times, even in our mental healing and self-love, we spend so much time beating ourselves up. Mm -hmm. 
in the past. We're always growing. We're always evolving. We're not making the best decisions all the time. Shara talked about it could have been you. Not just it could have. Quite honestly, Tribe, it probably should have been. It should have been. (laughs) It should have been you. So we, as a tribe, we have got to stop looking at people in their circumstances because some of y'all have never even been to prison and won't be able to accomplish what Jasmine is going to accomplish in her life. Sometimes Mm -hmm. 10 steps back will catapult you into a life and a future that you never even desired for yourself. So that reminds me of the, like, just thinking about the bigger picture of what we're trying to accomplish here with Black Women Reborn. And our tagline, which we really don't use as much as we should, is the internal revolution. The full name of our podcast is the Black Women Reborn, the internal revolution. And, you know, revolution by definition relates to a sudden, radical, and complete change. And, you know, your story is making me think of that. You know, as cliche as it sounds, we always have to say everything happens for a reason. And you even recognize that when you say you went to prison. Oddly, it was the first time in a long time that you felt peace for a short period of time. And I think that now that you are 10 months out, you are in the process of another revolution. And it's exciting to watch on the sidelines and it's exciting to see how you are turning that around. So I would love to start talking more about now. Like your internal revolution has been happening over the past four or five years. And now, like, you have started this organization called Inmates Are Us. I would love for you to tell the tribe more about this and what you're doing through that journey. Okay, so um, Inmates Are Us, like I said, I had started that in 2016. So MHRS, I developed that to bring society together with incarcerated individuals and returning citizens and society. So I want to educate those who don't know anything about incarceration because you can watch it on TV all you want, but if you've never been through it or don't have a loved one, it's like you don't care. Like I've had loved ones have been locked up, but you know, I never was really deep into what incarceration it was about, like the mental struggle or the pain or what they went through. So I want to show how incarceration affects everyone. Why should society care about incarceration and the life that is being lived inside? We never start caring until we go through that experience or like I said, have a loved one that does. So my goal is to eventually develop a transitional space for those coming home in a DMV and have returning citizens more skilled and comfortable where they're not judged where, you know, they have confidence to be able to walk through and be like, yeah, they're feeling they developed this. So I want to use my platform to push for prison reform and equality within the prisons as far as more equality to the women inside prison because there is discrimination within the prisons when it comes to women. We're looked down. We get lesser food than the men. We don't have programs that the men have because they feel the men need to be rehabilitated more than the females do. So there is still discrimination within the prison that needs to be addressed and society should care because that's where their tax dollars are supposedly going, right? So why keep contributing your tax dollars to something that's not working? We need prison reform for real rehabilitation. I rehabilitated myself. Doesn't mean somebody else that's in there struggling is going to be able to rehabilitate herself as well either. So I really want to put the focus on that and push for more programs and push for more nonprofit programs to get people situated out here. Because I came home and I didn't know really where to start or where to get, you know, any help from, especially in Maryland. D.C. has programs. Maryland, they really didn't have anything. I didn't know where to start or what to do, especially for job searching. I had to do that on my own. So I want to bring that more towards the Maryland side and the Virginia side, just like, you know, D.C. has. 
So what was the hardest thing about readjusting? Like, you know, clearly this is something you're passionate about. You started this organization, Inmates Are Us. So, you know, given your experience, what was the hardest thing about readjusting? The hardest thing about readjusting, let me just make this clear, I'm only 80% readjusted. I'm not even 100% readjusted at all. It's been a struggle. I still feel stressed and overwhelmed, and I just can't explain why sometimes. I still feel like I'm mentally locked up, even though I'm not, because I don't have my life back the way it was. So like I said, I get agitated easy when I try to explain to people. Like one of my pet pieces, I don't like being questioned too much by, you know, random people because I feel like it's the feds questioning me again. And I start to get suspicious of, you know, what are you trying to, you know, dig deeper into when you know, like I'm an open book. So that kind of, you know, gets me take off of certain foods. I can't really eat all foods. I get sick yet. Like I said, I don't feel free yet. To be honest, I don't feel free. I still have an invisible chain that has to come off. And that's probably just something within me that I have to slowly just let loose and still get adjusted. Like I said, I'm at 80%. When will I be at 100%? I really don't know. Well, I want you to know, like Shara gave you words of encouragement. Jasmine, you are free. And I know that's something that you have to work through and come out of mentally, like you talked about. And on Black Woman Reborn, we are into therapy and getting self-help. So if that's anything that we can help you with or try to help point you in the right direction to that self-care that you need to be pushed um, to help you release any of those shackles, anything that we can do, please don't hesitate to let us know and let the tribe help you as you are our sister. I appreciate it. I really do. Absolutely. And that being said, Jasmine, how can, as we start to kind of close out this episode, given your experiences, given what you know firsthand, for people who are listening to this episode, who have come to this tribe meeting and who are just feeling all of this heavy emotion as Shakina and I are, <laughs> holding back tears and just frustration. How can people actually help the cause? I feel like people could actually help cause first by educating themselves on incarceration, really looking into prison reform and what it's about and mass incarceration. People don't know really what mass incarceration is. They really don't know how many people that are African-Americans are locked up. They don't know the difference between someone of Caucasian descent going to sentencing and versus someone who's African-American is like they don't care until they're put into that situation. So I feel like the first thing I really want people to do with this cause is educate yourself. Educate yourself. And second, how does it relate to them? How does incarceration relate to them? Because anybody can be put into that situation. You never know if the blink of the eye, you can be incarcerated for any little thing. If you have a bad feeling or gut feeling about something you're about to do that's wrong, just think of you can be incarcerated in the next second. So like I said, I really want people to educate themselves on incarceration, mass incarceration and prison reform and kind of go into it with an open heart, you know, open minded about the situation. Because if you don't educate yourself, it's ignorance when you approach it to a situation that you know nothing about and you're judging. Absolutely. So like Shara said, in closing out, what do you want to leave the tribe with? What do you want them to walk away with from this tribe meeting that will not only encourage our community, encourage our tribe, but also let our young girls know that maybe in toxic relationships, have toxic friends and friendships? What do you want them to know from your story? From my story, I want them to know there is a way out, an easier way out. Lean on your support system. People even that you 
ink might not be there. Open up and talk to somebody. Somebody can probably get you out of that situation that you really didn't think can get you out of that situation. The thing is, we have pride issues and we're so closed minded as, you know, African-American women sometimes that we don't want any people in our business that we don't understand that just opening our mouth and asking for help can really alleviate a lot of problems that we put ourselves into. And I feel like we're for young females. We need to recognize what love is by loving ourselves first. That man that you're trying to love, the one that you're trying to ride for is not going to ride for you. It's happened to me. My ex left me in there high and dry, lost all my stuff, didn't send me a dime. Where's the love? I had to learn the hard way. Four and a half years, I had to learn the hard way. And I don't want any young females to go through that to learn the hard way. But on another note, people who have been incarcerated, there is life after prison. Your life is not over. It's just re-beginning. It's a restart button that you can you know, push for yourself. It's a bittersweet moment that I went to prison. It's bitter because I had to be away from my kids. It's sweet because I love the person that I transformed into. No, I'm not perfect. I'm a little bit, I would say, classic, classy and ratchet. But, you know, I'm me. I love who I transformed into. I love the carefree person I am. I'm me. And I want to be able to help as many people as possible. And I want, you know, everybody to know there's life after prison. You can contact me if you need a vent. People vent to me all the time. I'm here. I'm a good listener. I get good advice. <laughs> Sometimes I don't listen to my own advice, but I get good advice. And just to know that I'm here, I feel your pain. If you want to talk to me, anything you talk to me about will be confidential and I'm understanding. I've been there before. You can ask me questions. You never know what I've been through because I've been through some stuff. I just choose not to say it, you know, out there. So there's life after prison and self-love and love yourself first. I'm glad you said that because we want the people to know how to contact you. So Jasmine, let us know how can people reach you? How can people find you on social media? How can people get more engaged in Inmates Are Us if they would like to? Give us all the information we need. Okay. So they can contact me through Inmates Are Us. The Instagram is inmates under slash are under slash us. And then they can contact my business Facebook, which is Jasmine Goal, G-O-A-L, <laughs> Digger. I had to make sure I spoke. Goal Digger. They can contact me through Facebook. And like I said, I'm an open book. They can ask me questions, any additional questions. Let's brainstorm. Let's network. Let's cry. Let's vent. Jasmine, Shara, and I, along with the tribe, want to thank you. Thank you one time. Thank you two times. Thank you a thousand times for coming on The Black Woman Reborn and sharing your story, giving us a piece of what your future is looking like, because I see nothing but the stars for you. Tribe, one more time, if you want to talk to Jasmine, you are interested in being a part of her cause on Instagram, inmates underscore R underscore us, and on Facebook, Jasmine Gold Bigger. Probably want to thank you again for joining us for this episode of Black Woman Reborn, emphasizing the internal revolution. We will see you again at the next meeting. We love y'all. See y'all next time. Thank you, Tribe, for attending this Tribe meeting. Be sure to hit that like and subscribe button on whatever platform you are joining in from today. We upload every first and third Friday of every month on Podbean, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. Check us out on Instagram and Facebook at The Black Woman Reborn. Until next time, see you at the next tribe meeting.